Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutasa Aparuta de Sangamatasa Tavara e Sorabantaba Munjantu Satang. So this uh, evening is the uh, beginning of the uh, formal monastic retreat ending on the 25th. And of course, this I encourage you. Uh, towards silence and uh, main idea is to conform physically to the schedule provided as best you can uh, and any movements uh, not wanting to please notice you know how difficult it is to uh, conform if you you like to if you don't like particularly to do that and then, uh, but this is a communal retreat, so it's like we're supporting uh, as a sangha uh, each one's endeavors toward liberation. So this is not about my practice, as if you know it's something separate from yours. There's a sense of uh, community, of sangha, of of. Uh, being a, a unit, a group, rather than an individual. And of course, of course, our individual tendencies are rising and ceasing, and there's all kinds of, uh, of uh, emotions and views and opinions that can arise and cease. But see, there's an opportunity to observe that. So I'd encourage you to kind of aditan or determine for this these next uh, this next week this uh, endeavor communal endeavor of course the basic uh, practice uh, sitting standing walking lying down the four area boat the four postures breathing anapanasati um, <coughs> have the um, Pujas and so forth as for uh, the core what or with the kind of um, basic uh, duties we have as uh, as samanas agreements that we have uh, and uh, in regards to action and speech and and then practice are uh, this. Remembering the present, the Pachubana Dhamma, to keep reminding, remembering here and now, Sati, Sampachanya, all that is present here and now. The body, you're either sitting, standing, walking, or lying down, you're breathing all the time, sound of silence. And this ability to recollect, to remember, is the sati. This is the 
we, we forget, we get carried away. Our habits are to live uh, according to habits about the, the world that we uh, have been conditioned to, the past, the future. But see this also as a special opportunity to really cultivate, develop, bhavana, in other words, to, to really see mindfulness as, your, as the uh, path to the deathless. This is this gate to the deathless realities. This is uh, what you, your only escape, the only possibility to be relieved, to get out of the uh, vortex, the whirlwind of uh, conditionality. And so I've had uh, printed these, uh, my favorite uh, quote from the scriptures, the unconditioned, atibikawe ajatang aputang akadang asankadang, just as a continuous reminder. Because I found this, this particular uh, teaching um, one of the most useful in my monastic life. Because it is a repetition, sometimes if you don't quite understand or you don't have a feeling for it, because, uh, you know, trying to imagine the unborn, unconditioned, unformed, unoriginated, and, and all you, you know, you can't do it. You, it's beyond imagination. But then the dukkha, the suffering, is always from attachment to the form, the condition, the originated, this blind attachment, it's the conditioning that we all have that uh, is the cause of our suffering, a kind of blind conditioning, reactivity, habitual tendencies uh, that we acquire when we're babies, begins then when we're born, and, and, and can we just be can carried on to death with just the habitual uh, reactions that we've developed when we were young the habit tendencies. So then this awakened sati sampachanya, remembering the awake here and now, Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, these are all the, the words, the, the way of using these words for remembering here and now. Not remembering the past, it's important to remember yesterday or last year or ten years ago. But remember, re recollecting, bringing back yourself into the present. So you begin to tune in to the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. <clears throat> you recognize it. It's recognizable. It's not. It's not just some state that's refined that you can't, uh, you have to be a highly spiritually evolved person in order to, to see it, to know it. It's not about being special or refined. It's about trusting in the awareness of here and now. <laughs> and so this, uh, this is the you know, an encouragement during this, these uh, 10 days to keep remembering. This is your sole duty, really. 
Very simple, isn't it? <laughs> now, Pachubana Tama, the reality of now. So there's the posture. I mean, this is a way of bringing attention to the body. They use the, the what they call the four area boat. Iriyabhata, which is uh, sitting, standing, walking, lying down. Four ordinary postures, the breath. The mantra puto also I found, uh, I've used that for years. I found that very useful <coughs> way of bringing, of collecting myself in the present. Puto, the knowing, here and now. And then if we, if we determine to, to respect the silence, then, uh, that, you know, this is, uh, we're not uh, at least intentionally distracting ourselves or distracting each other. Because this is a, a special opportunity. Most of the time we have to deal with, with uh, speaking and relating and working and going to meetings and so forth. That, that is part of a human condition, just like anything else. But this is a kind of special situation arranged solely for this, or this encouragement toward recognizing the real, awakening to the real. And if you keep pursuing this, you will. Eventually it'll sink in. It's not that you're ever, you know, the world isn't what you think it is. You're, you are not what you believe you are. And so all these beliefs we have or these opinions or views that we have about ourselves or about each other, they're not to be regarded as truth or reality. They are what they are, like they're, memory, their sanya. We have certain memories arise uh, we, uh, where we feel happy or guilty or resentful. We have, remember people from the past and events of the past and fears of the future, worries about the future. So the past and the future can occupy all our, our life we can be com completely devoted to doing something now to get something in the future. Well, this is where it all stops, here and now. And this is, this is reality, this is the real. The conditioned realm, the thoughts, the feelings, emotions, a pleasant, painful, high, low, ecstatic, depressed, whatever their qualities might be. Uh, they're not me and mine, they're anatta. They are what they are. And that awareness of them is, is all that's necessary. It isn't necessary to comment, to criticize, to define or analyze. Just note, at this very moment, uh, the feeling I'm experiencing is like this. 
the breath is like this, or a posture. I encourage a lot of body awareness. Because the body is another strong attachment and, and a very convincing one that this is what I really am, is this body. And so it's, it's, you know, it's very strong feeling of this is me, I am this, this physical body. And so this is where when we pay attention to the body with sati panya, with mindfulness and wisdom, then we, we're aware of the body, we're not denying it. But we're no longer, we're beginning to see it is what it is at this moment. It's a sensitive form that we experience all the time, you know, whether uh, day or night or whatever. We, we have to live within the, this uh, limited form, it's like incarcerated in this human form for a lifetime. And it has its various uh, pleasant, painful, neutral sensations. It's aging process. It is, that's the way it is. But our relationship to it is no longer owning it or identifying with it or dismissing it or despising it, but recognizing. Now, consciousness means that we can recognize this present moment. The fact that we can actually be aware of the, of the body sitting <coughs> without making it into anything more than what it is. Sitting is like this. And uh, this, uh, the experience, the reality and the experience, the sensations that you can recall, that you can observe just by sitting here and observing the, the posture that you're in. Standing, walking, lying down. These are the, the, the normal movements that we use throughout the day and night. Sitting, standing, walking, lying down, breathing. Now I'm not pointing to any kind of special, special form of sitting, standing, walking, lying down or any form of special breathing. With uh, mindfulness, it isn't a matter of refining the breath or tranquilizing it or to, to have perfect posture, but to recognize the awareness, being aware of the body uh, as it is what it is in the present, it's like this. recognize it's an energetic form, so it's always feeling something. It's a, you know, it's a sensitive energetic form in a sense realm. And this is a conditioned realm. So it's through the unconditioned that we can recognize conditions. And that's why I'm pointing to the unconditioned all the time, so that you're not just believing or trying to fool yourself or playing tricks with your mind, you know, about the, all the conditions are impermanent because we can, we can get into a kind of intellectualization of it, you know, and we, we can kind of believe we really understand that. 
of the pace on Karani to all conditions are impermanent. But, and, but we actually may be just attached to the, to the formula, the actual words, and, the, and holding a view or an opinion about all conditions are impermanent. So it's not believing in a view or an opinion. All conditions are impermanent is not about believing. Uh, all, good, all good Buddhists should believe that all conditions are impermanent. It's not like that. It's observing, beginning to re reflect on the changingness, the sensitivity that each one of us is experiencing at this very moment. Now the, the self-view, the Sakyaditi view, this is the, the first fetter that blinds us. This, this is always the assumption that, that I am this body. And then it, when I start assuming that I am this physical body and that I am this personality, it has a whole history connected to it. It goes back in you know, the years remembering of past experience, memories arise and cease, views and opinions form, habitual emotions arise. And then by, act, by never investigating or getting outside that, then I am trapped in a, in a, a, a personality view. Now to, to see one's personality is, uh, is not to criticize it, not about or getting rid of a personality, but being able to discern reality from the personality. So as a person, you know, I can't, uh, when I attach to my, the sense of myself as a person, like did he then that, that, I'm back in the world again. I am Ajahn Samedo, this born in 75 years ago and on and on, like this whole history arises. Memories, events. <coughs> but in Sati Sampachanya, then all of that can be seen for what it is. It is what it is, a sense of me as this body, me as this person. It's not a denial or a rejection, but a recognition that this sense of being this person, these memories, with this history and this body and all the assumptions Habitual assumptions we, we, uh, we have from that identity, from the attachment to these conditions. Then I'm, you know, I'm very vulnerable, self-conscious, return to the habit tendencies of my life. And I'm born again as Ajahn Sumato, <laughs> born again Buddhist. But, <laughs> but if I recognize sati-sampatanya, the unconditioned, unborn, unformed, what, what that really means is just awakened attentiveness, paying attention, listening. It's not looking for anything. It's receptive, sensitive, open 
here and now. And as you, and to, in the practice then, uh, the pawanas to really treasure this opportunity, this sense of here and now. Uh, just think of your own life, how, uh, you know, having to prove yourself, define yourself, criticize yourself, self-consciousness, identity with, with the body, with the memories, the emotions, how much suffering that, that causes us, how confused life becomes, how onerous it is as an experience on a personal level. So the, this personality then is not to be despised, it's not an attack on it, but a putting it in its proper place, seeing it for what it is. Knowing this uh, conscious satisampachanya, amatadhamma, this is our ability from this here and now point of being this in this incarcerated in this form that's conscious to reflect on the here and now that's the that's the point of the of being a human being really if you if you begin to really understand and appreciate that that that's all you need to know you don't have to become anything or prove anything to anybody or get anything that you don't have, or get rid of anything. It's mere recognizing, beginning to to value <coughs> and treasure and even worship this ability that we have as human individuals to awaken to ultimate reality, to amatadhamma, to deathless, to the real. And still live with, have to live with uh, the this form till it finally dies. But the difference between an awakened human being and an unawakened one is the unawakened one really believes everything. They're just caught in the, in a trap like a sticky web. The more you resist it, the more sticky it becomes. Like you're just caught in a trap, a kind of futility of life. Because uh, one just goes around and around in the conditioned realm. And that's why this, uh, this chant, there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, if there was not the unborn, uncreated, unformed condition, there would be no escape from the born, the created, the form, the condition. That says a lot right there. There'd be no way to get out of the trap. We'd be just helpless victims of habits, of conditioning, of the body, whatever happened to it. We wouldn't, you know, it would be a kind of depressing uh, experience to be to be just helplessly stuck in unpleasant depressing inadequate conditioning <clears throat> so on a worldly level we try to improve the conditions 
Uh, if you're not particularly interested in bhavana, you improve the condition so at least you're, you're cultivating uh, virtuousness and goodness, generosity and, and sila, morality. That is certainly encouraged because that will make you a happier person. You know, you, you will have a happier life as a person, as an individual, through being generous and being responsible for action and speech. Five precepts. You can see on uh, Sunday the generosity, the dawner. We live on generosity from the lay community. We're alms mendicants, so we depend on the kindness and generosity of the society that we live in. And so, you know, we, it is impressive to see the, the uh, incredible generosity that, that comes to us from the lay community. Because then it's something, you know, that even if for the lay, many of the lay people come just to give dana, just to develop generosity. And that, of course, generosity, just notice when you're generous, the difference between selfish, being selfish, and being generous. That's a, you can observe it, you know. You just think of, uh, I want this for me, and be able to share what you have with others. As a, as a person. And then the, the morality, the five precepts, is a kind of standard, a basis for action and speech. And that, of course, is uh, something that we ask for. You know, we're not, we're not a, we don't go around telling people they're going to hell if they don't keep the five precepts. <laughs> like that. We're not, you know, trying to scare people into keeping the five precepts, but encouraging, leading onward toward good action, responsible, re taking responsibility for our lives, for kindness and generosity as persons, as people, as personalities. It's a way to live a happy life. But even a happy life has its uh, karma, and so, you know, the, when we begin to recognize that just being happy and virtuous is still something we lack. And that's where this, the pawana begins to uh, register in our consciousness. Meditation, awakening. So these three uh, concepts, dana sila pawana, very simple, um, thing to remember. It's a sequence to be encouraged. People can't stop drinking and, and uh, so forth telling lies. At least they can be generous. Increase the, the amount of <laughs> generosity. And then the sila. And then the pawana. Now pawana really is, it's not, uh, that's why I, uh, this word, it's, uh, the Pali word bhavana, really means cultivating awareness. It's not about anything else but that. To, to really bhavana is to, it's from the unconditioned that we 
have that perspective on the condition. So it's not about getting refined or tranquil or happy through meditation. It's about recognizing the awakened conscious reality of now. It's just this. And of course it doesn't seem like anything much. You know, you try to describe it, it's impossible. It's the the way it is or like this. (laughs) You know, you can't really uh, define it or uh, describe it, but you can recognize it. Now in my own practice over the years, this recognition of this is the real insight. So this, it's uh, like awakening to, uh, maybe it just is a flash, a sudden flash of recognition. Like it started when I was a summoner, this moment of just recognizing there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. This is it. And then of course, I'd forget it and easily pull back into, you know, other uh, emotions and so forth that were, would arise. So in this way, sati then in, in Thai, as I've told you before, they use the, the word kwamra luk, which means to recall or remember. Here and now dhamma, puto, pachubana dhamma, amata dhamma, unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. This. Now when I do this, in a I've used, uh, you know, I noticed this, uh, this uh, vibration, what I call sound of silence. So just sharing this, this what I know about this uh, with you. But don't make anything out of the sound of silence. You know, even though I talk a lot about it, and people keep asking me, don't make it into some, some kind of esoteric, mystical experience. You know, it's not about, it's not some kind of subtle vibration that, that is uh, special. It's just not noticed. So during this, this, these 10 days, I encourage to not try to get anything out of these 10 days. Like when we start a retreat and we, we talk about noble silence and we uh, and we can say very inspiring things about practice. And, and what does that do to you as an individual? When you say you should, uh, you know, try to surrender to the retreat, try to the community, uh, endeavor, um, on and on like this. Uh, the important thing is what, how does, when I talk like this, how does it affect you? And it, you know, whatever way it does, just begin to, to trust you, you just recognize it's like this.
so that it's a, it's about you know using the form, using the schedule for mindfulness, but not you know making the the, the schedule and the retreat into some kind of arduous tests of your practice or to get something out of it in order to you know to really practice and get insight if if those, if that's your tendency to do that observe it this feeling i've got to get something i don't have i've got these 10 days and i'm and i want everybody to be quiet so i can really get my practice together or any any whatever way you you uh, that you find your feeling about formal retreats, it is what it is. And the knowing of it, this knowing is, the, is what we recognize, this ability to know the witnessing position, the unconditioned, in which then the conditions are seen in perspective. And for that brief moment, we might actually, you know, there's a, we begin to notice if we sustain awareness, maintain it. More and more, we, you know, we, we are, a, we find a, a kind of joyfulness in just being without having to, to create any kind of special condition. But it's learning to recognize this empty, natural, awakened consciousness from this point, here and now, and cultivating or developing. That's what bhavana really means. Now the, the form, the structure, monastic life, the bhikkhu, siladhara, samanera, anagarika, and so forth. This is merely a uh, a tool, expedient means, not to attach to it. I meant to use it for this awareness. It makes life simple. Because we're not we're not spending our time trying to to um, improve or always trying to to change things, but to to um, this is what we this makes our our relationship our agreements so that we uh, that our life can be devoted to bhavana rather than towards trying to change all the conditions according to what we might like or want or feel. So the, the, the aim of, the, of a tradition like this, Theravada monastic tradition, isn't, isn't, isn't about, you know, institutionalizing us into some kind of monks and nuns that, that just obediently follow rules. It can look like that sometime, unquestioningly, slavishly follow rules. 
it's for it's to simplify our lives. Now, if you notice, lay people's lives are much more complicated because uh, you know they, they they at this time modern society doesn't have much um, boundary to it. It's each one for themselves, individualism. Uh, it's about me, 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 getting what I can. Uh, so it's, you know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't lead towards uh, seeing and recognizing Dhamma. The emphasis is always on the individual, on views and opinions, on rights and privileges, or on what's wrong. And so then it's like each one, you know, we each do our own thing, as they say. It's, uh, you know, if I feel like doing this, I have a right to do it. I'm free man to do whatever I say, whatever I want. Here are these uh, discussions, sometimes on the radio, where they talk about freedom of speech, where uh, do we have a right to say anti-Semitic things in public now? And some people say, yes, we, sh we shouldn't outlaw these kind of uh, statements, we have a right to say whatever we, we want or, or think or insult Islam or whatever, racist jokes or, or eth ethnic jokes to insult or to just blurt out whatever comes into our minds called freedom of speech. And notice that, that uh, this emphasis on right speech, samawaja, in this Eightfold Path, cultivating right speech. And what is that? It's taking responsibility for what, what I say, what I put out into, in, towards others in the society. Knowing that if I, you know, if I say things in anger, if I insult somebody, if I say things that demean, humiliate, or whatever, other people. I have a right to say whatever I want according to modern <laughs> values. Freedom of speech, Hyde Park Corner, <laughs> whatever. And, but in some awaja, right speech, this is like recognizing, uh, you know, how to use your speech. So the intention of a Buddhist samana is, is harmlessness, not to intentionally harm, hurt, humiliate, insult, put down another person. It's not about being politically correct all the time and, uh, you know, according to ways that people, you know, endlessly afraid to say things because they want to be politi politically correct. Not about that. But it's about knowing yourself what is appropriate, the time, the place, when to say, when not to say anything. Now this is intuitive. There's no prescription that, you, that I have a right to say whatever comes into my mind wherever I am. But also reflecting when I do insult somebody or hurt somebody's feelings unintentionally. You know, it, it hurts me too because if I, if I find out that I've actually 
hurt somebody's feelings just through the heedless speech of mine, then it, you know, it is, uh, you know, not only painful for the person, but it, it, at least in me, it arouses a sense of guilt and remorse. So observing this, how my, my personality, my emotional life does react to things. And that by developing samavaja, then this sense of confidence in, and, and not being just a compulsive speaker or to assume that I have a right to say anything I want to or that uh, if somebody's offended that, you know, being cold and callous about it, that's their problem. They're offended, that's their problem. We can dismiss the effect we have on other people. Now, in taking responsibility for action and speech, this is, this is kind of like, it's a, it's a beautiful, noble gesture to be responsible for one's actions and, and speech, how to use speech, how to use form, how to use rules, tradition, not for developing an ego or for idealism or for any other thing but mindfulness. Because we have to live within forms. This is a, until we die. We have to live within the limitation of the bodies we have till they, they drop dead. Whatever that limitation might be. We have our own vipaka kama to endure. The way, you know, the way our personality and emotional habits work. Because sometimes we don't even, you know, a lot of our, you know, we don't like ourselves that much because we can, you know, we, we tendency towards being very self-critical, guilt-ridden, feelings of inadequacy, insecurity, haunt, haunt us, convulse us and consume us. If we if we don't awaken from that, then then we're we're stuck with that till we die. But this is an opportunity to to awaken, to to learn, to to use our vipaka kama skillfully. So whatever it might be, whether it's physical weakness, sickness, ailments, disease, old age, uh, emotional habits that arise, uh, memories of the past, whatever they are, pleasant, unpleasant, good, bad, silly, or intelligent, or foolish, or insane, or whatever, it's not a matter of, of seeing anything as a disadvantage, but in learning to recognize it is what it is. And so it's, it's uh, you know, seeing the conditions are what they are. It's not about whether we like them or don't like them, but it is 
this is the way it is. It's not a fatalistic kind of personal resignation, but it's a recognition that at this moment, whatever you're feeling through the body or through the emotions is the way it is. It's the truism. Now, just that ability to the way it is means that that's a, a pointing. It's a willing, it's a, I find this, the way it is, is a way of accepting whatever I'm feeling. <coughs> Not making it into anything more than that. And recognize that the body is an energetic form. So you, you, we have to, you know, we, if we think and we have emotional uh, arise, emotions arising that uh, emotions are, can bring energy, or they can bring, they can drain us, or they can excite us. But the knowing, the, the knowing, the sati sampajanya, is how we relate to the conditioned realm. Changing from attachment, ignorance, attachment, identity, to it is the way it is. then our relationship to the society, say as monastics, is that we're, our relationship to the society that we're living in here in England is uh, one of mindfulness, metta, karuna, mudita, upeka. We relate to the, the world around us not by, you know, loving it or hating it, but recognizing it. Our relationship to it is based on, on loving kindness. So our, and we, we are dependent on the society for our requisite. So we've chosen this way of life, putting ourselves in this very, uh, you know, unusual position of being a, a helpless alms mendicant meaning that, that we are dependent on the kindness, generosity of other people. Well, that also is, uh, some people, peop uh, some of the monks or nuns have told me how their parents find that, you know, that we're leeches, we're parasites on the society. We sit here at Amrabhati just waiting for people to bring us cheesecake and things like this. And that we're just, you know, parasites. Because that's how the worldly mind tends to see somebody that, that, uh, that to them it looks like we're not doing anything. Sitting here like this uh, for an hour and watching our breath, listening to the sound of sounds. It sounds crazy to most people, I'm sure. And you expect people to come and give you food every day for doing that? <laughs> In Thailand, they, they have a different attitude because it's a different culture. It's, it's a culture that is influenced by Buddhism. But here, it's, it's a culture based on work ethic. On you shouldn't get anything unless you work hard for it. Unless you're a banker. Then, uh, 
this kind of alms mendicancy is a is a relationship to the to the lay society around us because it it's the one of gratitude appreciation for the generosity extended to us we're not it's without conditions it's about I'll only be grateful if you give me the kind of food I want and high quality can you know requisites but it it is based on very low standard of requisites. Shelter for the night, robes, rag robes, alms food, medicine for illness. So these four requisites are, you know, to be reflected on too, so that, our, you know, we, we're not just sitting here expecting, taking for granted our position, that people should respect us or give us food or come here or anything. You know, it's not like I'm, you know, I'm such a wise and virtuous monk that people should, you know, only bring me the best. That is, would be Sakaya Ditti or the ego. I often like the image of the holy fool that they have in in Christianity. You know, like your kind of holy fool is looks like a, an idiot, simple-minded, brainless idiot. You think, and that's that's what that's my ideal, not being a charming, charismatic, famous Dharma teacher, but in in the simplicity of gratitude for what is offered, shelter for the night, food in the alms bowl, and so forth. Because this is moving toward uh, qualities that bring peace of mind to where, you know, we, our habits, our worldly habits are conditioned through greed, hatred, and delusion. And then we come, mo most of us come from very materialistic societies that are about rights and getting what you can, proving yourself, becoming somebody, being a celebrity, being famous, making your mark on society. It's a, you know, the society, at least this is what I remember, is very conditioned in that way to prove myself, to be somebody, not just be you know, to have to want to get myself, pull myself up by my own bootstraps and get there, you know, get to the goal, be a winner, a champion. That's the conditioning of the culture that I'm from. But notice that the Samana life is one of, isn't like that, it, that doesn't work in this life. It's just not, it's, uh, but we, we still might have those kind of tendencies. You know, we can, you know, sometimes it's a joke, sometimes being a Buddhist monk, a bhikkhu, and you, competition, I remember comp competing on Patimoka recitations, or <laughs> who could sit still the longest without moving in full lotus. How, you know, you can use anything for some kind of ego, proving yourself, you know, I can sit better than you can. 
or I can chant Padimokha faster than you. And that would be like the worldly conditioning from my, my cultural conditioning influencing how I related to monastic life. But, and so that's where the, the, the reflection on the four requisites is, is I found very helpful in, in this sense of um, humility, gratitude, contentment. Because when these, when you really have this contentment, gratitude, then it's very easy to practice. It, you know, one isn't spending one's time complaining or wanting or grumbling or blaming the world around. <clears throat> And it's very simple-minded, like, it's not that, you know, I have this nice sakuti. And, uh, and my tendency on a personal level is to be attached to it. But I reflect on it, I say, the shelter for one night, rather than this is mine, this is my retirement home. Even though such thoughts have arisen in my mind, <laughs> it's not... Those are not the thoughts that I want to attach to. Then the samana in the society here in, in Britain, for example, is a, you know, it is a, it has its blessings. You can see how, how because of the good support we get, but the people intuitively recognize the value of it and the respect they feel for what we're doing. For the, for the goal, for the commitment to the Samana life. And this is the, the beauty of the Samana life, is that it, it, it can, in countries like in, uh, for example, in Thailand, which I know the best, uh, they can think, you know, modern Thai people become quite materialistic too. So they, they can think in terms of, uh, we have a very bright uh, son or daughter, we want them to, um, you know, get somewhere in the society, become a doctor or a lawyer or engineer or politician or a film star or whatever, you know. And then, then they become a monk and the parents are really upset even though they're Buddhists. Because you can, you can think of the uh, Buddhist monk as just a kind of parasite on the society, the, the stupid ones, that's how they end up. If you don't know what to do with them, put them in the robe. Or is it, you know, the holy fool? Well, that's a kind of simplicity, a purity of consciousness, where, where even if you know, whatever, you know, the shelter for the night, the, the food in the arms, but doesn't, it isn't about conditions, about it being the best shelter or the best food, but it's a sense of, of gratitude, katanyu. And that can only be fully appreciated by recognizing ingratitude or discontentment. You can't make yourself grateful or content as, an, as a willful act. It's impossible. But, and so, be aware of discontentment, ingratitude, 
of selfishness, of wanting to get somewhere, of wanting to be somebody. It's not like trying to say we shouldn't feel these these emotions, but to recognize them. They are what they are. So in you know, in my life in Thailand, the early years, you know, you know, coming from my background, it was very much you complain a lot. If you don't get what you want and things aren't the way you believe they should be, you grumble and complain. And so that was how I was conditioned uh, to experience life, very much a complaining uh, habit. And so then uh, in monastic life in Wat Pa Pong, uh, when I first went there in 1967, you know, I found my, my mind complaining. And uh, in, in, in American terms, there was plenty to complain about. <laughs> because the standards, you know, are so different. You know, we expect so much and, uh, you know, demand a lot from life. And yet, living there in Northeast Thailand, and, and then Wat Pa Pong was a very kind of primitive place. You know, it isn't, it, now it's become quite, you know, quite nice place to live actually, but say 44 years ago it was uh, it was really rough kind of life. But this requisite I reflected on and I could just see my own it's a kind of mean-heartedness sometimes, grumbling, complaining, blaming. And in, in not to think, you know, that I could make that into feeling guilty about it, that I shouldn't, that I should be grateful for this, because there's a whole sequence there. You have hold an ideal of being uh, grateful with what you you get, for what you get. But then the the habit tendencies may be to complain or be ungrateful, and to notice that it's like this, this complaining, tendency to complain and blame is like this. So, uh, just by putting it into, you know, recognizing it and accepting complaining and blaming, it's not a, a mental state that leads towards happiness or peace or anything else. It just leads onward to more complaining, blaming. So, then you think, then I think, well, do I have to spend my life complaining about everything? Or this is opportunity to let go of that habit. You know, so it's, it's by questioning, asking myself, do I want to be reborn as a human being again to go through another lifetime complaining about it all? Or it's good enough. Food, shelter for the night, medicine for illness, robes, then, then I began to see uh, discontentment and by seeing it and recognizing, letting go, letting go of discontent, not suppressing it, but recognizing, letting it be what it is, it naturally ceases, 
nature to cease. And just by that kind of recognition, discernment, then the, the rest takes care of itself. Because the monastic form, it, you know, its whole purpose is towards being content, towards contentment. And within the, you know, because we don't expect and we don't demand a lot. And our commitment is towards cultivating bhavana, um, recognizing emptiness, silence, stillness, pure consciousness, here and now, until we, we find that that's what we really are, that's our, as Lung Po Char would say, our real home, where suffering ceases. So, I encourage you all at this time to uh, to cultivate and you know whatever you're going through at this time it's part of your what you need to learn from you know it's not you know so it, it's not about having to change anything but awakening emotionally physically whatever psychically whatever conditions you're experiencing that's the path by seeing them, recognizing them, allowing them to be what they are. And in that, allowing, it's a letting go, it's non-attachment, a condition phenomena ceases, it's not nature's decease. You know, so you actually, you know, prove it. You can see that, you, you know, you, this, this awareness then allows you to recognize the presence and absence of whatever, of pleasant, painful conditions, physical, physical, emotional, mental. So I offer this for your reflection for this evening. <laughs>